Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You who have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Thanks for tuning in today. We are beginning a series of messages called Disrupted. And let me just say, if you are interested, the Discovery Bible Study bookmarks for this sermon series are on our website. Just go to edmundchurchofchrist.com, look under the Media and the Resources tab, and you will find that bookmark there. We encourage everyone to spend some time in God's Word, and maybe even spend some time in God's Word with other people using the various texts from this sermon series. You know, this series, Disrupted, has relevance for life right now as we know it. On the congregational survey that many of this church family did, that they completed, just under 60% of respondents said that this pandemic we're in has been a major disruption to life. They agreed or strongly agreed that it's been a major disruption in life. Now, I'm not sure about the other somewhat 40% of people, maybe the normal routine of life is to stay at home and to stay six feet away from other people. That sometimes sounds pretty good, but, uh, or maybe they're just super flexible and they can adapt to change. But for most of us, this COVID-19 pandemic and its ripple effect have been quite a disruption for life. And as much as we may not like it or like to admit it, it looks like in the future, it's going to continue to be a disruption on some level. Jobs lost, income reduced, businesses suffering, education moved home or online, church services moved online, weddings postponed, funerals delayed. So many things have changed. Many of you probably have delayed trips. And also schedules, of course, have been upended and ceremonies and celebrations have been modified and changed and put off. And, and by the way, speaking of that, quick shout out to all of our high school and college graduates. Congratulations. We're so happy for you. And we're so sorry that you may not have been able to celebrate like you had planned, but hopefully at least for the high school graduates here this Saturday in our parking lot, you'll get a chance to, uh, to celebrate and we'll get a chance to celebrate with you. And for those others out there who have graduated, we just want to say congratulations. The truth is, life as we know it has been interrupted. But let me remind you, for some, the disruption has been more than just an inconvenience, more than just a schedule change. There are people who are suffering and dying at the hands of this virus. There are families that are separated, families that are grieving, people who are dealing with anxiety, and some of which are in our own church family. May we never forget those directly impacted by this pandemic, by what's happening in our world right now. In fact, let's pause right now and go to God in prayer on their behalf. Father God, we praise your name. You are a great God. And Father, right now there are so many people who are hurting. Father, there are people who are dealing with anxiety. There are people, all of us, 
who are wondering about an unknown future. Father, we pray for your peace. We pray for your healing among us. And Father, as we look to the future, we pray for wisdom, for discernment, to make good choices. Father, we pray for this church family, for other churches around this nation, across this globe, as we make decisions that impact your people in this world. Father, give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Brought something today. This is a VCR. Now, for some of you young people out there, I might as well be holding a dinosaur egg. You've never seen this before in your life. Maybe you've heard about it. But this is a VCR, a video cassette recorder. And several years ago, we had one like this, much like this, and we had a tape or a video cassette that we were playing. And unfortunately, the tape got stuck inside the VCR. It was jammed in there. It wouldn't eject. We couldn't get it out. We didn't know what to do. We had a dilemma. Do we try to take the VCR apart to salvage the tape? Now, it wasn't our wedding video, but I think it was something fairly important. So do we take the VCR apart to try to salvage the tape? Or do we tear up the tape and try to save the VCR? That was our dilemma. Now, I, I think in many ways, that's what it's like dealing with this pandemic. You see, I think normally we just like to live our life. We just want to push play and move forward do our routines, live our lives. Maybe occasionally we have special events and so we push record because we want those special memories. But the idea is that we keep moving forward, we keep living our lives. If something does come up, if there's an emergency, if there's a slight interruption of some kind, we just push pause. We deal with whatever we need to deal with, all the while knowing that we can come back and just push play, that it will be there waiting for us. But now, with this pandemic, with this situation we're going through, it's like the tape is stuck inside. It's like we can't just push pause. We can't move forward. We don't know what to do. We can't just resume our lives necessarily. Certainly not now, and we don't know if or when that could happen. So we have some decisions to make. What do we do? Do we destroy the tape? Do we destroy the VCR? Maybe it's time to upgrade. Maybe it's time to make some changes, buy a DVD player, buy some kind of digital device. But we have important decisions to make because we can't necessarily just fix it with the push of a button. Now, I don't know if that is the perfect metaphor, but I think it does remind us that sometimes we encounter major disruptions in life. And that when that happens, sometimes we just can't go back and have things the way they were. You can't just push a button and make it all better. Now, regarding our current situation, as we begin to see things open up, we are cautiously optimistic. But we recognize that we're living in a constant state of flux between a past that we once knew and a future that we cannot predict or control. In fact, if nothing else, this whole situation has been a great reminder to many of us that we are not in control, that God is in control. And so we do look to the future, the immediate future, the long-term future, and we echo the words of David 
in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, when he says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. We know that everything belongs to God. But while we are here on God's earth, we also know that life can be interrupted and that disruptions can be debilitating. And so we're left with a choice. What do we do? How do we move forward? How do we respond? And we want to respond in a way that demonstrates faith, in a way that looks to and acknowledges the greatness and the glory of God and leans on him. But we don't always know exactly what that looks like. It's important for us to realize as we consider disruptions in life that they come in all shapes and sizes and from all sources. We're not going to talk about the pandemic throughout this entire series because there are lots of disruptions in life. And sometimes disruptions come from our choices. Sometimes they come from other people's choices. Sometimes they are the result of just circumstances in our world like this one we're in or like a natural disaster or maybe a, a diagnosis from the doctor. Sometimes God interrupts our lives. Sometimes those disruptions come directly from God. But whatever the source of the disruption, this is true, that God can use disruptions to make disciples, that God can work through all situations, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on, no matter how our lives might be upended, God can work in that and through that to shape us and to shape his creation you know, Scripture is the story of God intervening, of God disrupting life. There are so many examples in Scripture of God interrupting people's lives. Now, are those actions by God, are they interference or are they intervention? Well, it sort of depends on where you're seated, doesn't it? When you see God working around you, when you see your life and your schedules and the things that you have planned out all of a sudden changing, are you looking for God to join him to be a part of what he's doing? Or are you trying to push your own agenda? See, it depends on your perspective. It depends on where you're seated. If you have a Bible with you, I want us to look at Luke chapter 1 because we're going to see a person there whose life was disrupted. Everything in her life was turned upside down. Her name is Mary. If you know much about the Bible or much about Jesus, you recognize her name. You know if, if, if it's the Mary we're thinking of, we know she is the mother of Jesus. But before Mary was the mother of Jesus, she was just a small town girl planning to get married. Several years ago, someone asked us and another couple we were traveling with where we were from. And after we responded to him, he simply said, well, everybody's got to be from somewhere. Well, Mary had to be from somewhere, but she might as well have been from nowhere because she was from a small town called Nazareth that no one really cared about. It wasn't really on anyone's map, anyone's radar. In fact, several years later, when a man named Nathaniel didn't realize or didn't believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, he said this about Mary's hometown, Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? You see, nothing about Mary's past 
would make her stand out. Nothing about her family, nothing about her financial situation, nothing about the experiences in her life, nothing about her associations would indicate that she was special. Mary was just someone. She was just a girl from a small town with plans to get married and maybe settle down, maybe have a family, maybe contribute to her community in some way. Basically, my guess is she wanted to push play and live her life. But one day, life was interrupted. One day, everything changed for Mary. And when it did, it changed for the entire world. Her life was, in fact, disrupted. She got a visit from an angel named Gabriel. Already, we see that this isn't just an ordinary day, that something special is unfolding. When an angel comes knocking on your door, you know something big is happening. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And if I'm Mary, I'm thinking, first of all, wait a second, highly favored? The Lord is with me? Mr. Angel, do you know who I am? I'm a nobody. I'm ordinary. I'm as ordinary as they come. I'm just a girl from a small town. Mary, by the way, is probably 13 to 16 years old. She's a young girl. She's probably not terribly well off. And her life to this point could be described as anything, I think, except highly favored by God. Which is a great reminder to us, isn't it? That, that God often works in our world using the most unexpected, the most unassuming people. And that to be highly favored by God does not necessarily mean that you are well off financially or that you have lots of material blessings, or that you have a, a life of, of ease and comfort or good health. That's not what highly favored by God necessarily means. This angel tells Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What a way to start this conversation. Mary, by the way, and her fiancé, Joseph, are betrothed to be married, which means they are in a one-year period of marital arrangement. They don't live together, but they are practically married, about to make it official. And so to dissolve a relationship like that, it takes a technical divorce to end it. And if Mary was like most other Jewish girls, there's a good chance that her parents were very involved in arranging this marriage. And so that's who Mary is. That's where she's coming from. That's her perspective. So now knowing that, how would you respond to this angel if you were Mary? What would you say? Remember, it's not every day that you get a visit from an angel. Verse 29, we read that Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The text says that Mary was greatly troubled. Really, that word is better translated terrified. Do you know the difference between troubled and terrified? I think there's a difference. Troubled is, I can't find my car keys. Terrified is, my car is on fire. There's a difference. And she is terrified. She is extremely troubled. You can just almost imagine her in her mind thinking, okay, Mr. Angel of the Lord, let me, let me get this straight. God has chosen me. God wants me to do something. 
It says what kind of greeting this is. She's wondering what kind of greeting this might be. Is God mad at me? Is, did I do something? Am I in trouble? What does God want with me? Well, the angel tells her, verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is a moment, a special moment, a sacred moment. Mary is standing on holy ground. And if I'm Mary, I need a moment, a moment to process this. Wait a second, God. You're saying that you want me to be involved in the incarnation? That that the prophecies we read about, uh, the the prediction of, of you doing something, intervening in our world, that you somehow want me to participate in that? That all those prophetic statements about the virgin being with child, wait a second, I'm the virgin that's going to be with child? Mary doesn't even know how to process that. In her mind, she doesn't even know how that would work. And so she asks, how is that going to work? You see, human logic and the wisdom of God are sometimes on two different planes. What seemed impossible to Mary was simply an opportunity for God. So the angel answers her question, verse 35. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. God's messenger says to Mary, don't worry so much about how, just simply trust who. Who is at work? He says, no word from God will ever fail. If God says it, it's going to happen. We don't have to understand how God works to know that he works or to trust that he is working. In fact, if you look at this short section of scripture, you will see a word over and over again. And the word is will. Basically, what God is saying to Mary is this will happen. It's going to happen. Often the question in life is not, is God's will going to be done here? The question, rather, is, am I going to recognize what God is doing and be a part of it? Am I going to embrace God's will? Am I going to go along with God? That's often the question. You see, our involvement certainly doesn't make or break God's plans, but our involvement does demonstrate faith on our part and align us with God's plans or the will of God. I don't think the incarnation of Jesus depended on Mary saying yes. Your little nativity set may just as well have had a little Joanna or Martha there by the manger next to the donkey. But it didn't. And it doesn't. Because Mary is there. We're reminded of the wisdom from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Mary had a choice to make. 
How would she respond to what God was doing around her? Would her plans or God's purpose prevail? She had to choose whether she would be a part of what God was doing. And keep in mind what her plans probably were. She probably just wanted to get married, just live a quiet life, just push play and move forward. But if she got on board with this plan, and I believe she knew this, everything would change. Everything in her life would change. She would become the mother of the Messiah. And before you think, well, that sounds like a no-brainer. That sounds like a glamorous job. Remember what the man of the Lord, Simeon, said in the very next chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 35, to Mary, when he said, a sword will pierce your soul too. This disruption in her life would not be easy. It would not be convenient. It would be costly. And it would start right then and right there. What would the people in her hometown say about a young girl engaged to be married who is pregnant? Can you imagine the gossip? Can you imagine the people pointing fingers and telling stories? What would Joseph say for that matter? What would Joseph do? He was a law-abiding Jewish citizen. And the law of Moses said that if Mary's done something to be pregnant before getting married, then she deserves death. Who would believe her story, her outlandish story of an angel? But see, it's Mary's story that reminds us of a very important truth. And the truth is, when God's purpose disrupts my plans, something has to give. Something has to yield. It's like when, when you're having a conversation and someone interrupts you. Someone has to stop talking for the conversation to continue. Maybe you've experienced something like that on these Zoom meetings. I've been in several Zoom meetings, and it, it just happens that you sometimes talk on top of each other, or you start to talk and someone else comes in on top of you because there's a delay and because of technical things and because of the lack of face-to-face of -face cues. You just sometimes interrupt each other. And when that happens, Usually the Zoom platform mutes one person and lets the other person have the floor. But also what usually happens is someone recognizes that this is an interruption and he or she stops talking. You see, when there is a disruption, when there is an interruption, it means someone has to yield. Maybe you can think of big examples in your life. I think about my life almost 30 years ago when I graduated from college with a degree in something other than ministry. My plan was just to get a good job, was to climb the ladder, to do what so many other people do. But as I look back now, it appears that maybe God had a different plan. And he continued to put people and opportunities in front of me that forced me to make decisions, big decisions, that forced us to make big decisions about our lives and our futures. It's almost like we are at these divine intersections. And when you're at an intersection, what do you have to do? Somebody has to yield. Mary finds herself at one of these divine intersections. Something would have to give. So I want you to listen to Mary's response to God's invitation. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I suppose he came back later to, to do the paperwork, maybe. I don't know. 
But what an answer by Mary. May your word to me be fulfilled. In essence, Mary is saying, Lord, as you wish, whatever you want. If something has to yield in this moment, let it be my plans because your purpose, your will, what you want is so much more important than what I have planned. Mary says, as you wish. Something that would be echoed by her beloved son, Jesus, years later in Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. Philip Yancey says that often a work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain. And in that matter-of-fact response, Mary embraced both. She was the first person to accept Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the personal cost. Mary's life was upended. It was disrupted. Her plans were interrupted. And how does she respond? She says, as you wish. When her plans were upended, Mary chose to alter her plans to accomplish God's purpose. although her choice would certainly not be easy. And the implications of her choice would in many ways put a target on her and on her soul. She didn't give pushback to God. She didn't reluctantly go along, okay, God, I guess I really have no choice here. She didn't argue with God. She simply yielded, submitted. She embraced the disruption I want you to look at how she responds a little bit later in our text. It's called Mary's Song, or Magnificat, named after the first few words of her song in Latin. It's one of the most famous songs in all of Christianity. It has been described as the gospel before the gospel, as this great revolutionary cry against the powers of the world. What a beautiful witness it is to the world. Because God was not just interrupting Mary and Joseph's lives, he was interrupting the world. He was disrupting the darkness and the injustice and death and evil by sending his son into the world. And Mary recognizes the significance of what God is doing. Somehow she recognizes that and she praises God for it. She submits to God and then praises God for who he is and what he's doing. I was blessed enough last summer to stand in the very spot where it is believed Mary recited the words to her song, Magnificat. There is a church there called the Church of Visitation. It marks the spot where it is believed that Mary visited Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And in the courtyard there, there is a huge wall with 42 ceramic plaques up on that wall, all with the words of Magnificat in as many different languages. And as you stand there staring at this wall, you're engulfed with literally the praise of the world for who God is, for what he has done and continues to do by acting in our world, by intervening in our world. Here's the English version of Magnificat. From Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it begins, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaid, or his servant, obviously talking about Mary. He goes on to mention the great things, the mighty things that God has done, how he has removed rulers from thrones, how he has filled the hungry, how he has rescued Israel. 
Yes, later, Mary's soul would be pierced by that sword. But for now, her soul magnified the Lord. What about you? How will you respond? When your life is disrupted, will you look to see if you can see what God is doing and simply join him, yield to him, submit to him? Even if it means giving up your plans, your dreams, your goals, even if that decision costs you something, something big. Maybe you remember the widely publicized story that came out a couple of years ago about 12 teenage boys on a soccer team. After practice one day, they and their coach decided to go in a nearby cave in Thailand. Well, heavy rains ended up blocking the entrance of that cave, and they were trapped. They could not get out. And what ensued was, a incredible, was an incredible rescue effort that involved something like 10,000 people, including 100 divers, that took something like two weeks' time and grabbed the world's attention. Workers realized that to get to these boys, to save them, to bring them out, they needed to pump out water from the cave. And so they ended up pumping out 34 million gallons of water. There was a local rice farmer, a lady named May Buya, who decided to do what she could to help out. She volunteered. And so she would cook meals for the rescue workers and for others. She would make herself available. She would do whatever she could to help the situation and help those trying to rescue these boys and their coach. Obviously, her life was interrupted. She had just planted her rice crop. Her husband had died years before, so he wasn't there to help. Her two sons didn't know how to raise rice, how to grow rice, and so they really were no help. And so her rice crop was left unkept when she went to volunteer. Well, after it was all over, she came back home. She realized what she already knew, what she already knew, and that is that all that water from the cave had to go somewhere, and much of it went into her rice fields, destroying everything, flooding her crop. She lost it all. Now imagine what she had planned previously. What were her plans? My guess is her plans were to plant this crop, grow this crop, harvest this crop, and use it to support her family. But now those plans were washed away. She lost everything. If that were you, how would you respond? What would your attitude be? What would your perspective be? I think that's a good question. And so this lady was asked that question. Here's what she said. She said, children are more important than rice. Children are more important than rice. Wow, what a perspective. You see, there are some things that are more important than your agenda. There are some things that are more pressing, more urgent, have greater value than your plans. There are things to which your plans should submit and be yielded. And I can assure you, that God's purpose is always more important than your plans. So how do you respond when your life gets disrupted? When your plans seem to collide with God's purpose, what do you do? Will you look up to heaven and humbly say, 
as you wish, as you wish, Lord. That is our prayer, that we would be faithful disciples of Christ who look to God to see what he's doing and to not oppose what he's doing, but to join what he's doing in our world. So how do you respond? Do you look to heaven and say, Lord, as you wish, take my life. If we can encourage you in some way, if we can lift you up in prayer, please don't hesitate to reach out. Probably the easiest way to do that is just to go to our website, edmundchurchofchrist.com. There's a prayer page there. You can see other people's prayers. You can submit a prayer request or a praise, and we will be glad to honor your request, to lift you up in prayer. If there's something we can do, please let us know. When life gets disrupted, how do you respond? Mary said, Lord, as you wish. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week.